What up? You're listening to Champagne Sharks. I am Vita Starr, and our guest today is Randon Taylor, a fourth-year PhD student with a concentration on race and sociology of health and illness at the University of Miami. But beyond academics, he is a brilliant scholar of life. Observing his own life circumstances and the circumstances of those around him, he wanted to take a deeper look into what contributed to his experiences. Inevitably, this brought him to sociology, and in particular, medical sociology and sociological social psychology. We will discuss PTSD and Randon's concept of chronic traumatic racialized life course, aka Control-C, and how it picks up what many trauma scholars leave out of the conversation, the role that race and racism plays in trauma endured by Black people. In addition to his work and studies, he has contributed and continues to contribute to his community in different ways. He is the founder of Bring a Child to College Day in Houston, where the lowest performing local high school students would take a college course of their choosing for a day. These students would not only get exposure to a college campus, they would be inspired and motivated to plan for the future. He currently participates in a local community garden in Liberty City, Miami, which helps to increase access to fresh, healthy produce for residents. So stay tuned, and we'll be back with Randon Taylor right after this. Lord be my witness, gotta keep the devil off. Keep the devil off, gotta keep the devil off. Keep the devil off, can't worry about no snakes. But good though riches, if six feet under. Lord be my witness, keep the devil off. I'm bound on the south side of the moon. Put your boy did the bed from the bottom of the map to the top of the mountain, pipping them on the moon. On the late night, I make move, move into play right. Play right. You ain't seen it like I seen it, my picture nine day, right it bright in the daylight. Supernova, I made a strong foundation out of all these boulders I carry. I ran them stakes in my yard, and you were tucking your tail, acting all scary. We ain't cut from that cloth. I paid and go what I bought. I ran circles around y'all and never ever ever got caught. All right, you ready to rock? I'm ready to rock. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me here, Randon Taylor. Glad to have you. Thank you for allowing me to be here. I appreciate you. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you're making me laugh. <laughs> I'm goofy. I'm sorry. It's I'm all good. So one of the things that I thought was really fascinating about you was your Twitter bio. And I was like, what the hell is social, what do you call social psychology? Social, yeah, yeah. So, socio-sociological psychology. I said, what? What is this? Yeah, most definitely. What is that? <laughs> so, social psychology, um, there, there's two kinds. There, there's psychological and there's, and there's sociological. Uh, the main difference is that from a psychological stance, you're focused on a more micro uh, uh, interperson behaviors. Uh, sociological, of course, what we always try to do is, is look at group, group processes, um, how the struct will will say how institutions and how uh, bigger things in society impact our behavior. So it's more of you know um, showing relationships between how how larger society impacts the uh, the individual or or the, or the group specifically. So basically, that there are outside factors that affect how we behave on a day to day basis. Most deaf. Most yes, yes. So definitely. you're looking at how what occurs in society affects the psychology of how we move. Yeah. So, so uh, for example, um, so one of, one of the papers I'm working on right now is, is I'm looking at how discrimination, which is a social element, uh, discrimination impacts our, uh, our, our um, subjective well-being. So how does discrimination impact our life satisfaction and our general happiness? Um, you can also look at how discrimination impacts your psychological well-being. So does it cause you distress? Things like that. There's a lot of research on how uh, social factors impact our, our well-being and our health outcomes. So Discrimination is one. Uh, employment is is a is a, is a social a social uh, factor. Um, just bigger things in, in, in society how they impact us on the uh, on the, on the group level. So like, how they impact in our I'm sorry impact in our self esteem how we you know our self concept things like that. So so how these these larger things impact our psychological I guess at, I guess attributes yeah concepts yeah so constructs. Well, my my question to that then is if we know that there is an impact, and this is all throughout academia, this is all yes. the research, we all know this is the case. Yes. Why does it seem as though our policies don't reflect that? Our policies still operate as though everyone is using individual choice to be criminals and to hurt others or themselves and destroy their communities. If we know that there's research that shows that societal factors, environmental factors affect behavior. 
Yeah, I mean, this, this, this is the thing. I mean, first of all, we have to think about, you know, who is the dominant group in America and the dominant group is always going to behave in a way or not behave in a way that reinforces their power and their dominance. So, you know, you said a great thing. Uh, I'm telling you, there's a lot of research that that shows all these these, uh, I guess, the different impacts, uh, how things like discrimination and, and racism and all this stuff impacts uh, subgroups, so blacks, uh, Native Americans. There, there's a lot of research for decades, but of course, it's it's, it's within. Um, it's not within the um, the dominant groups. Um, they, they they wouldn't want to do anything to reduce their power, so they're not going to. First of all, read the research. Second of all, enact laws that reduce their power. Um, so it, it's it's really a matter of you know uh, group you know the dominant group not I guess enacting laws policies to reduce their power. And, and, you know, what else is crazy is that it's also within, you know, the way with that we've all been socialized is that even black Americans or, or, or other, you know, uh, racial and ethnic minorities vote against themselves sometimes and, and, and act against themselves that also reinforces the dominant group's power. So, so does your work look into that as well? Like the ways in which people will work against themselves, almost like how psychologists talk about self-saboteurs in relationships yes. and career and things like that because you know they don't know any other way to live almost (laughs) that's all they've ever known is to be sad or to deal with drama or whatever it is is that the case on a larger scale as well well so i okay so i don't do work right now on uh self-hate but there is there is uh more work being done on self-hate and and how if so we'll say um the it's also known as the colonial mentality. So when you identify with the dominant group instead of your group, uh, there, there's there's more work being done on those different concepts. And we and we know from research that whenever you don't identify with your racial or ethnic in group, you have worse health outcomes, worse mental health outcomes. Um, because what you're doing, I mean, the consequences of that include things like you know skin bleaching, um, low self esteem. But so I do. Um, I'm going to get more into identity uh, later on. However, what I'm looking at right now is particularly how America, uh, the, the environment itself, the entire environment is unhealthy for black Americans. It's damaging to our health in all ways, uh, our subjective well-being, our psychological well-being. It's just, it's just unhealthy in general. So, so that's you know why. that's like a really controversial statement, right? <laughs> it can be controversial, but it's true. <laughs> I'm seriously. I'm saying the reason why I'm saying that because I said something similar. Although I, I would say I put it on a bit of a smaller scale. Okay. I said basically I talked about the school system and it being the most unhealthy and dangerous place for a black child. Oh yeah. And there's a lot of uproar when I said that. <laughs> well, I mean, people are always going. People are always going to be mad when you or, or angry when you go against the grain. You know. You know. I, I'm studying health, and one of the papers that I'm writing right now is. And, I, and I'm, I'm getting ready to submit it. I'm arguing that, you know, medical institutions, we need to be protesting hospitals. Um, hospitals Absolutely. are the, the they kill more people, more black folks than cops do. On average, cops kill about 230 some black people per year, mostly black men. Uh, on average, uh, black women die during uh, uh, giving birth about 220, 230 per year. That's just black women giving birth. We're not talking about all the other unnecessary deaths, deaths that, that happen in hospitals. So yeah, I'm arguing that we die in waiting rooms. Having exactly. Exactly. I mean, you can go even with the uh, the uh, the EMS. I mean, they you know, when somebody gets shot, they're going to take their sweet time and let you bleed out. If, 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 you know, if, if you're black, you know, we've heard stories about this. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, the cops, in my opinion, and I, I, may, I may be getting off uh, a subject, but the okay. cops are, are the obvious group to protest, but we're not even thinking about the hospitals when they're the ones that are, first of all, abortion yes. clinics, um, everything else, you know, they're, it's happening. It's happening on, on a large scale. So, and more than it's the cops, sad. more than the police. It's sad because a lot of medical institutions are black people, black yes. women in particular, because we're yes. the ones who are giving birth and things like that. Exactly. I think there was even a study that came out, and I think you and I have talked about it before, Yeah. Um, about how black Babies and women are more likely to survive childbirth if they have a black doctor. Exactly. Yes. Which is scary if you think about that. Well, what else? There's so many non-black doctors delivering our babies. Exactly. And what else could that be? You know, what else could that be? It's not, it's it's less care, it's less attention. There was a study that came out, excuse me, I'm sorry, about maybe a year ago that 
show that in, in baby nurseries in the hospital, white babies have toys in their, like literal, literal toys in their, uh, you know, where they're sleeping at. And black babies are, black babies are often in corners with no toys. It, get, it, it gets that deep. Yes, it gets that deep. Wow. So See, that's scary. No. I, I never knew that. Now, being someone who's worked in education, worked with children yes. for pff, at least 20 years at this point. Yes. I've, it's interesting how I see how black children are treated versus other children. Uh-huh. And I feel like nobody pays attention to that either. Because I think we often look at the kids. Okay, we talk about the school to prison pipeline, for example. Yes. Right? That's very visible. And we can see that. We can, and people can come out and rally against it. Still not do shit, but they'll come out and rally against it. But yeah. nobody's talking about the rest of the kids who, don't, who don't, may not go to prison, but they don't do anything else. Or they do go to college and just come out in debt. And still exactly. can't get a decent job that might help them come out of debt. Exactly. Nobody talks about the impact that, that these schools have on the psychology of our children and how they see themselves in relation to the world and to each other. It's extremely important. Um, I think there's, okay, there's a, there's a study. I think the scholars in uh, Connecticut or somewhere, somewhere northeast, but uh, she released a study, I think in 2017, where she did a, a psychological experiment and found that, you know, when black students are... Uh, taught actual black figures in history, so black scientists, black mathematicians, things like that, they have better grades than not being taught about black people in history. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on a cusp of really arguing that identity is almost everything, you know, because your identity tells you who you are, who you must be, and your identity ha- has a lot of, uh, has a, a big relationship with your health and your mental health outcomes. So education, Institutions are extremely important because they're the ones who are indoctrinating you with, you know, who your people are or who, or who they haven't been, you know? Yeah. So if, if, you, if, 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 if you don't see yourself in history, then who can you become? If you only see that you are, you are a slave, then what's the propensity of you not, you know, thinking beyond that kind of, you know what I'm saying? Right. And not even that, learning about the slaves that fought for their freedom or the slaves that, you know, built businesses and created towns and, you know, created, you know, and developed lands and, you know, but nobody talks about the other parts of our history. And I think and that, that's the other thing that I find to be really, um, really fucked up about our educational system, but really just fucked up about the fact that our entire history of who we are has been erased from us. Yes. And so it, going back to your point about how that impacts our health and it impacts our behaviors, it impacts yes. a lot of things. Oh, it does. And that's, that, that rep, maybe can help me out with this because I've had this sort of theory around what I call historical trauma. Oh, yeah. One of the things that we know about trauma is that it affects your memory. It also affects how you see yourself. We've been through so much in this country to the point where our educational trauma has basically created our historical trauma where we don't even realize we've been, the way we think and see ourselves isn't even the reality of who we are. Because that's exactly. all we've ever learned about who we were. A lot of, a lot of, and you know this, I listen to a lot of Amos Wilson speeches yes. and lectures. Yes. And he talks a lot about that too. He talks about the fact that, you know, you're going in there with a certain type of education before you walk into that classroom. Exactly. It impacts what you get from that lesson. Exactly. So black children and white children are not getting the same education, even if they're sitting in the same classroom. Exactly. So you're this get- white kid is learning that their people are superior. You're yes. learning that your kids, you're learning that your people were inferior to them and are yes. at their whim. And your job is to now honor these people that have enslaved you. In fact, yes. your school is named after one of the motherfuckers. So exactly. that's exactly what, what ends up happening is you start to have this belief about our forefathers. Like recently, um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed yes. away. Yes, yes. And I'm seeing all these black women in particular coming out like she was some sort of, you know, uh, like Trojan for Liberator, women. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Liberator. And I haven't found any any information on where she's helped black people in particular. Um, but there's this belief that the system is in studying the system and knowing the system and how it works is gonna somehow free us and liberate us. And I yes. think a lot of that comes from going to schools where all we learned is that this is how the system works and this is how you're supposed to operate within it. And this is your inferiority. Yes. As you operate within it, because you don't have any real power here. The the thing that trips me out about uh, uh, Ginsburg, who just who just passed away, is that a lot. It, it seems to me, and I said this earlier uh, to somebody who I was talking to, is that a lot of these uh, non-white feminists are settling for a kind of weird trickle-down feminism where they get the crumbs uh, of of what white women get, because right. white white women get get the, get the lion's share of the of the benefits, and then you know. A few non non white women get 
into positions, but it, it's really it's sad. It's the very only ones sad. The positions are the ones that are going to uphold and push exactly the white supremacist status quo. Exactly, in the first place. exactly. All this, just like just like you said, you know, even even education, all of this stuff is to reinforce white domination, and that's the only way we need to look at it. We need to look. We need to look at this from a lens of war. When we look at it from the lens of war, we can see why black men are the most killed amongst police. We can also see how they separate the women from the men that we've seen over time. All of this, it just makes sense when you're trying to reinforce your domination. Big division too. Oh yeah. Within oh our, yeah. Within our community. Yes. And it really, I've, and it was funny. I've noticed this ever since I was a kid. Yes. I have. I saw as things faded from happy black couples, dark skinned black couples, to you know maybe a, a mom that might be black somewhere. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> or, you know, and then they're always fighting anyway. Yes. You know, every couple on TV and every commercial is the, the, the black woman's bickering at her husband and her husband's, you know, some type of somehow aloof. Yes. You know? Yeah. Um, and, and I have a big problem with that portrayal. And I have a big, not in not even just relationships, even as far as romantic, even parental relationships. Yes. You know, sometimes you see this overly domineering, angry black mom. Yes. You know? In fact, white people praise that. The, the, the woman, the black woman that beat her kid on camera because he was yep. you know, I remember in that. protest. Yes. And white people had her all over their news outlets. Yes. Because they like seeing that sort of discord and that sort of tension in our communities and in our families. Yes, yes. And and to be honest with you, um, our situation, the opposition opposition existing between black men and black women, the, the little that there is, um, it's not unique. This same dynamic occurs in, a, in a indigenous people in Canada. It, it occurs between blacks in South Africa. So what we really see is the after effects of being colonized and, and yes. having, a, having a people who, who are traumatized beyond belief to the point that they don't even know who they are. And then when, when, when they do behave, most of, most, most of the ways that they behave is that um, they reinforce their own domination. And that's what we call a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, white folks, the dominant group tells you who you are. They show you that you're a criminal, you're this, you're that, or they show you who you can't be. And then that that sets in your mind. It takes root in your mind, and you start to behave in those in those ways. This is a real phenomenon, self self fulfilling prophecy, and it happens on a, on a collective level. And that's interesting because you never hear about it on the collective level. You usually hear about it on an individual level. Exactly. Right. So kids who grew up maybe with a lot of verbal abuse, and then they grow up with yes. low self esteem, and they get into relationships that basically. Yes. Um, repeat the relationship that they had with their parents and in their families because that's yes. all they've ever known. And they get out of that relationship and basically do end up in the same sort of cycle and because that's all they've ever known. And, that, and they think that's how relationships are supposed to look. This is what exactly. it looks like. Yes, yeah. That's um, interesting because, you, again, you never see these conversations put on more of a macro perspective. And that's, so that's really a Western philosophy. Western philosophy and ideology is all about the self and the, and the individual. Western philosophy views human beings as atoms, but we are an African people. We are not atoms. We are a collective. However, and, and we see this, here's an example. We see this when, uh, and a lot of scholars have talked about how, you know, um, some white scholars and some white folks, when they talk about racism, they'll, 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 they'll individualize it. They'll, they'll say that, okay, this guy or this woman is just an actor uh, by him or herself, and he or she has nothing to do with the collective. When we know that race, I mean, who was producing these racists? White racist mm-hmm. society, you know what I'm saying? Like, they're producing racist behavior on a collective. It's not just people who have a psychological uh, uh, aberration. No, this is a collective phenomenon. And the thing is, so when they, when they emphasize the individual, they get the scapegoat, the collective. You know what I'm saying? When you, when you just focus on the individual, you're being enchanted to not, <clears throat> you're being enchanted to not focus on society. So right. you can put the you can't even acknowledge that there is some accountability that has to be held for those that put people in positions to have to make exactly. decisions. And you know what's interesting about your about the Western idea of focusing on the individual it makes me think yes. of this um, this woman named Rigoberta Menchu. She has this book she wrote about her experience in Guatemala. Uh-huh. Um, I want to say it's the eighties or seventies. I'm not sure, but it was like some type of civil war or something going over there. And she's writing about her experiences. And then it comes out that some of the stories were untrue, like fact checkers started checking things. Well, this couldn't happen at this time and this sort of thing. And then when they asked her, like, basically, how could you have lied? She's like, I didn't lie. The way that they tell stories is just different. I'm telling the stories of my village. 
It wasn't that this happened specifically to me. This is just how we tell stories. Yes, I tell yes. the story because I'm telling the story of my neighbor and my neighbor's son. I'm telling multiple stories. So yes. I said it was my story, but I'm really telling the story of my people in my community. But yes. see, Western's ears and eyes didn't understand that. Exactly. Great point. So I think that's interesting what you're saying because we don't even consider the fact that the way we've been conditioned to see ourselves and our world is through this Western lens that doesn't even accurately apply to how we should be living. Well, see, and, and that, see, that's the whole nature of this. See, I, I oftentimes look at this as magic because, you know, this is all an illusion. It's all confusion because guess what happens when uh, a black man kills another black man in Chicago? White folks blame the collective. They always mention Chicago, as, you know, as generalizing black people in general. So they know, you know, that it's all about the collective, but yet and still when they in, uh, 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 in, individualize certain things, it gets, to, it gets, it gets, you know, it gets us not to blame collective white society, uh, their, their, their dominant racial group. The, so. perspective, the perspectives changed based off of convenience. Exactly, how does, yes. How does it conveniently aid what I'm trying to achieve? If I want this policy to be enacted, then I have to present things this way. Yes. So how can I make sure that my policy or my plan, my agenda is now yes. enacted? Because it's not even about the actual progress or the change or anything. It's usually about what people's own individual agendas. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, what's interesting also, you, there were two words you used earlier that I thought were interesting, war and trauma. Yes. <laughs> And yeah. I thought that was really, really interesting because we are in a war and it is traumatic. And one of the things we know is the term PTSD. Yes. Post-traumatic stress disorder. And most, uh-huh. people, mostly, most people associate it solely with just war veterans. Exactly. What we do know is that it's mostly children in foster care <laughs> that suffer from PTSD. Yes. I think it's like almost twice the rate of yes. war veterans. Mm-hmm. And most people don't know that either. P- people think PTSD is solely just... Uh, military. Yes. You don't think about the other ways that trauma affects our brains and our bodies. I was raised in an abusive household. I was diagnosed with complex PTSD, Mm. which is basically a developmental trauma. So you've been going through this trauma over and over and over again. You you didn't have any way to escape it. Yes. It wasn't like you were in war for a time period and then it was over. It never ended. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Um, And and so I'm, I'm bringing all that up because I think we're, again, taking it to the collective. You talk about another way that Black people in particular have endured uh, trauma. Yes. And you talk about PTSD, but you talk about what it's not including. Yeah, yeah. And that's so, a racialized lens. Can you talk yeah. a little bit about your, your term control C, what that means, and why it was important for you to introduce that into the conversation of PTSD? Definitely, definitely. So this was a, uh, a concept that I developed uh, in 2019. I presented it at uh, a Black Masculinities Conference in, in Nassau, the Bahamas. Um, and, and what I was arguing was that, okay, so PTSD and CPTSD complex uh, don't address um, how a racialized social society like America um, is traumatic in and in, in of itself. Uh, first of all, uh, you know, the lack of identity or the erasure of your identity is traumatic in and of itself because the dominant group is inserting, injecting another identity within you. So you got to figure out who you are. That's traumatic. Um mm-hmm. It's like and, what uh, St- Steve Biko said, the most potent weapon in the hands of the oppressor is the minds of the oppressed. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, my concept looks at how, okay, we live in a racialized social system. This cannot be argued. We know this. This is all throughout the literature. But given that the whole entire environment is traumatic, um, not only the environment itself, but the constant trauma, the chronic trauma of, of seeing police killings and things like that, what we're really looking at is what I call a chronic, traumatic, racialized life course, because this stuff takes place over the entire life course of black Americans. And it, it, it literally has a, a, uh, a negative uh, mental health impact. Well, it has, it has an impact on our mental health negatively. Uh, David R. Williams, uh, uh, colleagues, uh, last name Bohr, they came out with a study in 2018 or 2019, where they showed that uh, when black Americans um, hear about or, or see a police shooting of, of another black Americans, if you're, in, if, if, if you're within that state or if you're outside that state, they have an increased number of, of, uh, of mental health days, negative mental health days stemming from that police shooting. So there is, uh, based, on, based on that study, there is a vicarious trauma that takes place amongst black Americans 
when they hear about these police shootings. I don't see how that's even hard to believe because I know I'm impacted. The George Floyd one threw me off because I normally try to try to avoid leaving yes. some of these videos. Yes. And I didn't know that was going to happen in that video. Yeah. And that I, I was at work and I was about to cry. And my homegirl, she sees me and I only had one homegirl at this office a particular time. Yes. And she's like seeing me kind of like fucked up. And I'm like, she's like, what happened? And I was like, I just saw this video, you know, um, it's, it's, and this is before the protests started kicking off, but I knew, yeah. I knew it was going to happen because it, it, it impacted me that much. Yes. And when I told her about it, she was just kind of like, oh, wow, you know. And so then she went, somehow she ran across it and then she was like, oh my God. Like, yeah. it, it was, it was hard. And I think we all were feeling that. And then watching it, witnessing it, and then yes. having the... I think the part that was the most fucked up, it wasn't even just the killing. And I think that was the part that most of us felt like, okay, this is common. Yes. But when they took his body, that's when I started crying. I literally started crying. Because the way... That, it was like he was nothing. They picked up... Like, like they were picking up a sack full of clothes. V, I couldn't even watch it. it just really rubbed me. It just hurt. Yeah. I, v, I didn't, I didn't even watch it. There's, there's certain things that happened to us that I can't even watch. I've seen so much. Like, if something happens next week, I might be able to watch it. But the George Floyd thing, I could not watch it. On top of the stress, you know, you go through in a PhD program, but I just couldn't muster the fact to watch it. And then, you know, I heard about him calling for his mother. I mean, that, even just hearing about it, impacted me, you know? I didn't hear that in the video, but I heard about that, and I'm so glad I didn't catch that in the video. Same, same. But, but V, this, this, this goes back to, again, Western society views people as atoms, individual islands. So, so in a Western lens, they wouldn't think that this impacts the collective blacks, you know? Um, mm-hmm. However, we know it does. It impacts all of us. It just does, unless you have an alienated mind where you identify with the oppressor instead of uh, uh, your racial or ethnic in-group in which... But even that's, an, that's a result of the trauma. You're exactly. You think that's going to keep you safe. Exactly. Because but, but you've we been do, traumatized. <laughs> exactly. But what we do know also are, are, is that from the literature is that those people who don't identify with their racial in-group have a lot of mental health issues. Again, self-esteem issues, skin bleaching, wearing blue contacts, you know, it's, it's deep. I heard, I heard a professor once say, um, he called it, he said they're in a white supremacy trauma trance. Ooh, yes. <laughs> in fact, in fact, I, in fact, that professor was at the, at, at the conference in the Bahamas. I, I, I forget his really? name. Yes. Where you yeah. presented this control C. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. 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 He's, I forgot his name, but he, but that, but I never forgot that term. Yeah. White supremacy trauma trance. That's what it is. Help me get, yeah. But help me get a little more empathy and patience. Cause <laughs> yeah. Because he, he, he kind of kind of put things in perspective. Don't get me wrong. I will still call you a coon on Twitter. Oh, but same. <laughs> he doesn't. <laughs> it is what it is. You got you to gotta identify. I, but I do understand why you're cooning. But, yeah. <laughs> but, but back to what we're talking about. Yes. Um, the, the thing that I, I really want people to understand is how important it is to look at more than just what's happening to the individual in this one particular space. Yes. Because it's not just this one individual in this one space. Not only is it more than one individual, it's it's affecting more than that space. Yes. And that shit gets tra- passed down and passed on. Exactly. And we don't even think about that on a day-to-day. So, for example, a traumatized kid who has access to a weapon hurts someone else, and that person is now traumatized, and that person's not going to have certain behaviors because of that trauma. Exactly. Maybe they become abusive to their kid because they're so afraid of their kid going outside that they start beating them so they don't go outside. Yes. And we don't even think about, but what we'll, what we'll say is that's a horrible parent, take the kid away. We don't even think, well, how did the parent even get there? One of the things that helped me in working in social services and being more patient with parents is learning that these parents also had their own trauma. That's right. And they were passing that down and yes. they didn't know any other way to parent because exactly. that's all they've ever experienced. Exactly. But we don't consider the experience, these collective experiences. I'll give you a perfect example. I often talk about the way that we joke about our black moms. Ha, 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 black moms. And I, I don't even, I'll even include Latino moms because yeah. <laughs> Latinos yeah. had the same complaint. Mama's, you know, mom's going to throw the shoe at you with the chancla. Mom, you know, yells that you could left a fork in the sink. Yes. <laughs> you know, yeah. that kind of thing, right? Yeah. And, this, and the reason why I'm including Latinos is because I want to talk about slavery and colonialization in this conversation. Yes, yes. Well, we, we laugh about that shit and we laugh about mom getting mad because of the fork in the sink. My mom used to flip out. She might get mad about me sharing this, but I love you, mom. Yes. Uh, <laughs> she used to get mad when I left the cabinet door open. Yeah. I would go visit her house. You know, I didn't live with her, so I would visit her on the weekend. And I, you know, she cleaned up the whole house. House be nice. She had the garden popping in the back. I mean, she whole house be real nice for, for basically preparing for me and my brother's visit. 
I go, you know, go in the cabinet, take a glass, go back upstairs. Don't realize, don't realize I leave the cabinet door open. My mother starts screaming, get out here. I'm thinking, what the hell? So I come running down the stairs and she goes, look at this place. Don't you see what's, you don't see what's wrong here? And I'm like, no. And she goes, look at this. And she starts pointing right to the cabinet, yes. screaming. And I'm yes. like, uh, okay. And I walk over to the cabinet and I make like this face like, uh, this is not that big of a deal. And I just close the cabinet. Yes. She gets even madder. Now, <laughs> at the time I thought my mother was crazy. I think most of us thought our black moms were fucking nuts. <laughs> yes. Yes. Same here. But I started really thinking about um, the things that my mother had experienced in her life. Exactly. So, so, I started so, thinking about how she was raised. Yes. And I started so, realizing what I was witnessing was her trauma. And, yes. I never, and we're laughing about it. We're on the internet cracking up about how, and then we just say, this is how black moms are. This is how we, in fact, not only this is how black moms are, this is how we will parent because this yes. is what black parenting looks like. Exactly. Not realizing what we're seeing is the impact of the trauma that has been passed down to our families. Yes. Now, the reason why I was going to talk about slavery and colonialization is because we don't think about the ways that we parent that actually come from that. Exactly. And, Places, and, and, go ahead, I'm sorry. Well, I just want to, real quick, and the ways that we love each other, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And I like what Dr. Stacey Patton said. We didn't even get the chance to really parent and be families except for the last 30, 40 years. Exactly. exactly. How could you parent during, while, while they're lynching your sons? Yes, exactly. All you, ha- all you can tell them is you have to stay in the house. Exactly. You got to beat them half the death because you're thinking that the mass are going to beat them. Exactly. And kill them. Exactly. And we're still living like that. And, and, and that has such a powerful impact on who we think we can, be, who we think we can become in this life. This, you know, when, when we're growing up, we all have that conversation with our, our guardian or our parent. And they tell us that, you know, my mama told me when I was, I, I had to be elementary, late elementary, sixth grade. You know, she told me and my brother that, or my brother and I, that you can't do the same things that these little white boys do. If you get in trouble, then, you know, it's going to be different for you. And I didn't understand the weight of that until later on. But that impacts, it, it, it literally shrinks your world. You know, it, it constrains how you view the world. And it, it's just powerful. Absolutely. And that's the thing that I think... Um gets missed in the conversations around how these things impact us. Yeah. It shapes our world. In fact, that's what trauma does. It's overwhelming and it completely changes the way you view the world. Yes. yes. Your relationship to the world is now different. You don't feel safe anymore. That's right. Not only do you not feel safe, you don't feel safe for people that look different from you and you don't feel safe around people that look like you. That's right. <laughs> so and that, you have this... Go ahead, I'm sorry. Well, I was, I was going to say that, that that's, that's lifelong. It's lifelong, you Absolutely. Know? And so I think that... One of the things that I really hope happens is that we begin to look at the ways that our mental health has been impacted in our decision-making and how it has impacted how we connect with each other, how it has impacted our relationships. I'm a strong believer that we have to stop looking at these white relationships and relationship structures and marriage structures and familial structures and thinking that applies to us. We don't have a lot of this. We don't. We didn't have the same circumstances. We don't have the same history. We don't have the same genetics. We don't have the. <laughs> we're not the same. You are talking right now. You're right. You're right. In fact, in fact, my my class this week, this upcoming week, is, is sociology of mental health. And one of the first things I'm going to start off and telling my students that, just like Amos Wilson says, is that you know, black people are not simply white folks who are painted black. You know what I'm saying? Right. We have a different social history. And that impacts our, our, our mental health, how we view the world. We have a different cosmology, how we view how the universe was created, you know, and, and, and deep down at, at, our, at our deepest core, we are a collective in the, uh, uh, group connected by some scholars will argue spirit, uh, uh, different things, but we are all uh, connected in, in a certain way. That's why we get Absolutely. impacted when we see certain things, you know? And you, because you know that you're represented there. Yes. You know that could be your black body on that. That's street. right. Or the, your loved one's black body being carried into That's an right. EMT like they're a sack of clothes. That's right. That's why. We know why. We know what it is. That's why the only thing that upsets me with when a lot of these black people get on here trying to defend the shit, it's like, I know you're pretending. I know Candace Owens is fake. Because oh, there's yeah. no way you look at that shit and you don't see your blackness in that. I yeah. know you do. You might deny it. You might pretend for it for a check. But there's no way you can sit up there and say that this didn't happen because this was a black body. Yes. Yeah. Um, the scholarship on identity by um, William Cross. Yes, William Cross. So he did a lot of work on black identity in, in, the, in the 90s. Uh, what we know from his work is that these um, people who identify with the, the dominant group or the oppressor, who we call sometimes uh, coons or Uncle Toms or whatever, what we know is that 
they experience a great psychological injury when they when they actually have uh, what Paul Money calls um, his, his, their uh, their their uh, nigga wake up call. You know when uh when, <laughs> yeah that's what Paul Paul Paul, Paul Money call, calls it a nigga a nigga wake up call. You know whenever they encounter um, actual you know racial threats, it, it causes a great psychological injury trauma. And it makes them reassess their whole entire identity. But what 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 Can- Candace Owens is doing, what what Charles Barkley are, uh, what they're doing, is simply reinforcing the dominant uh, system of beliefs. Exactly. That, that's it. Well, they feel like if they're on that side of things, they're somehow safe, or their their posterity is somehow yes. safe. Yes. And and I think that's the other thing we we realize with trauma because I. It, we think of like, well, we'll say, well, we had the same trauma. We didn't coon out. Well, yeah, you didn't, but they did. And that yes. was what their, that was the impact of the trauma for them. Yes. I don't know. Well, and I, I don't think it's my job to go save them. Yeah. <laughs> that's not my job. But I do believe that we can, that's why I like the white supremacy trauma trans conversation. Yes. That, that, I can think of his name, um, <laughs> that professor came up with, um, because it helps me realize, okay, this person is clearly sick. Exactly. This isn't a person I, that anyone should be following or listening to. This person is sick. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, we, and if we can look at it like this person is sick, I don't uh-huh. think it would anger us as much and give her as much attention. Yeah. <laughs> she gets a lot of attention because of our outrage and white people know that she has that impact. That's my belief. I, th- I, think, that's a su- I think that's such a, a great point because I've been thinking about how, okay, so how do we actually handle a, a, as a black collective these these uh, other black folks who identify more with the aggressor, the the uh, the dominant group, because mm-hmm. certainly we gotta have some way to to uh, reduce their impact on us. Because I mean, these I mean, if we really think about it, these are the same people who um, were on the slave plantations and and snitched or told the uh, the white mm-hmm. master about the about the impending slave revolt. Um, right. There, I mean, there's there, there's a book I read. Because you, you're gonna mess up their position. Exactly. Because if what happens if we you get free, then what? Where the fuck? Are exactly. Going? Exactly. But 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 okay. Remember, when you get free, that's when you got to figure out who you really are. You know, you got to really yep. form an identity, and that's scary for a lot of people. It's scary because there, there, there's a void that exists right there. there there's a void. You know. You know. Uh, living in this system has told you everything about who you can be and who you are and who you have been, and if you turn around and face um, away from that. You got to figure out who you really are, and it takes work. And people are scared of that, you know. It's scary. Yes, it is scary. It's like that's part of my. That's look. People don't even leave jobs because of that fear. Seriously. In fact, if we talk about trauma, we can talk about jobs too. Yes. <laughs> I always think about that too. The impact of how we treat our children and the type of jobs that they get in the future. Now there are studies oh, yeah. on this. Yeah. Someone sent me the study once after I was looking for it, and hopefully I saved it in my drive. If anybody asks me for it, yeah. But there are studies that show that the way you're parented has an effect on the type of jobs that you get because most, more than likely, your parents work those type of jobs. So, for example, working class people tend to parent a certain way. Yes, that's right. That's and right. And their yeah. kids yeah. learn. How to, for example, they're very authoritative. Yes. Working class parents are very much about managing everything. That's right. That's right. And you have to follow the management rules. That's right. That was, and those are the kind of jobs that they tend to work. You're, exactly. not, you're not in control. You're not the executive. At most, you get to manage a space, and that's it. Yeah. So you, that's how you teach your kids. You follow orders, and that's it. Children of executives, a little bit different. That's right. Their parents let them make more decisions. Yes. They can negotiate. Mom, can I play outside 15 more minutes? No. 10 more minutes? Okay. Yes. They learn the art of negotiation. That's right. It's just, it's just very different in the way that they parent. Now, I think the same thing happens in schools, the way that children are treated in school. I was raised, in, I'm, in South, I'm from South Central LA. Most people who listen to this show know that. Yes. Um, I worked in Watts for a few years, working with kids whose parents were incarcerated and kids who were uh, in kinship care and foster care. Most of my kids came from the Jordan Downs housing project. Yes. All of them had like a ton of trauma. Like there was a lot going on with these kids. Yes. And in my experience in working with them, I learned, I learned a lot. I learned that a lot of their behavior was a result of what they had been experiencing. They were anxious. Yes. They lived in a community that was high violence. In fact, when I was working there, it was in the middle of the gang war between Bounty Hunters and Grape Street. Yes. And, no, and the school was, a, was on Grape Street across the street from the Jordan Downs Housing Project. Yes, yes. So these are these kids' family members and brothers and sisters that are affected by this or killed by this. yes. Yet and still, go to the play yard, go to the classrooms, get in line, be quiet, what are you doing? Don't do that, stop that, you keep doing it, I'm going to take it away. That's how our kids get talked to. Yes. I volunteered at a school in Inglewood, predominantly black school there too. 
mm-hmm. predominantly black staff. By the way, in both spaces, predominantly black staff. Black, black principal at this Inglewood school. Yes. And I've seen them butcher kids' self-esteem, boys and girls. Yes. But particularly black boys. But mm-hmm. they did it to black boys and black girls. Yes. Again, screaming at them. I've seen a teacher, a black woman, get into a little boy's face. He was black and Latino. Never forget him. It was Alex. He was a really smart kid. He would, you know, he would finish his work quickly and then start bothering other kids. Because he's a kid. He's like second grader. Yeah. So he's bothering other kids. Yeah, yeah. Tanisha, you sit down. You're not supposed to be standing up. That's not your crayon. You know, little kid shit. He does this all the time. So this day, a substitute is there. She starts getting mad at the kid and she gets into his face in front of the entire second grade class. You are not grown. I run this classroom. Ooh. Humiliated. Ooh. You should see he. You could see him fighting, crying. He yes. did not want to cry. He was so angry. Yeah, he just stood there. He looked so. I watched. I just watched everything. It, it really broke my heart. Yeah, I got upset. I reported it. Principal basically was like, "Oh well, you know, he didn't hit him. He's fine. Was he acting up though? You know that kind of thing." Yeah, and that really bothered me. So I didn't come back until the regular teacher came back. When the when the reg, when the regular teacher came back, and I was uh, volunteering again, the Little boy, that same little boy who used to, you know, be really happy. In fact, the other teacher, whenever he would finish his work early, she'd give him other things to do. Yes. Keep him occupied. This time, she's giving him things to do and he's getting mad. Why are you always asking me to do that? You're telling me to do everything. Yeah, you never asked nobody else. And these are the things he used to love to do. He yes. loved sharpening the pencils and you know how kids are yeah. the teacher and yes. all that stuff. Kids love that. He loved it before until that happened. And the teacher could not figure out why this kid kept acting like this. Yes. And I told her what happened. And she was like, oh, it was, he's been doing this all week. Yeah. Whenever I asked him to do anything, he just starts snapping at me. Ooh. And I watched how they treat these kids in our schools. I watched, I went through it. I hated school, had a resentment towards school. I, I did too. I did too. A lot of us did. I'm learning, I'm learning more and more that a lot of us did. Yes. And nobody's really talking about it because we're just constantly told to push this education bullshit. Yeah. And nobody wants to be honest about the fact that a lot of us, not, not just the kids who were quote unquote troublemakers, it was a lot of us. I was a quote unquote good kid. Yeah. I was a compliant child and I still felt like I was treated like I was in prison. They were always screaming at us. When I worked in Redondo Beach, a predominantly white neighborhood, you think they let me scream at some kids? Oh, no. Come on. No. They teach their kids because you know why? These are the kids of executives. Exactly. You, it, these kids, of, the kids of executives learning how to get everyone's needs met at exactly. the table. Two exactly. kids are fighting over a toy. You don't snatch the toy away and say, well, nobody plays with it. Yes. You teach them how to negotiate and talk to each other and figure it out together, how to develop solutions. You literally sit there and teach them. Looks like Johnny's crying. He doesn't... Were you finished with the toy, Johnny? No, I wasn't finished. You know, and you teach them how to listen to each other, how to understand, well, Johnny's crying. He's hurt, even though maybe you did have it first, but he is really hurt. What do you think we should do? He can have it. I'll do something else. And you'll be surprised what these kids will figure out because that's what they learn how to do, how to make decisions, how to come together. And that's what executives do. Our kids learn how to be their labor. Yes. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, and there's a few things going on. I mean, there's there's, there's race, there's class. um, Yes. and, and so. You know, what happens, okay, you know, race, class, and these labels of, of uh, medicine and, and education. So, first of all, with race, nobody, if, if you are a person with melanin in your skin in America, nobody escapes the racialized process. So, even if you work in education or, or, or in medicine, you know, what goes on outside of your, you know, how, how you grew up, how you were socialized, the things that you went through, it impacts how you treat other people, no matter what field of work you're in. It just does. Nobody escapes that in, in America. That's why I argue that. Our entire environment itself is traumatic and, 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 and damaging to our health. Um, secondly, of course, like you said, this is about class identities. So like you said, and, and I, I do remember reading that, 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 that research also, you know, if you're a working class parent, the way you're dealt with in, soci- in society, um, you're, 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 you're controlled, you're managed too. Um, you don't have much choice. You're going to do that same thing to your children and teach them how to fall in line with with. The dominant group, uh, the higher class uh, uh, individuals, you know, you don't even know how to uh, uh, approach certain things or certain issues because your identity is so entrenched in just being a worker, you know. So and, and then lastly, of course, it goes back to that, you know, we get so enchanted by, OK, because it's called education. We think that we're post, supposed to, um, you know, uh, get this equal education that's going to free us and liberate us or because it's called medicine. We think that, you know. We get we get we get we get enchanted by seeing that red cross or or um, the symbols of medicine, but really right. these institutions are still within the same uh, system 
that dominates us. So we can't lie to ourselves and delude ourselves and act like the people who work in these institutions aren't reinforcing the system in some way. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad you're pointing that out as well. Because we don't realize how much those organizations impact us while doing nothing. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like they're draining so much of our resources. They're taking, they're, they're making great commercials. I always, you know, I always think about the nonprofit industrial complex in general. Yeah. And I often think about it in terms of like how, like Campbell's Soup, for example. And I always yes. talk about this, like my perfect, I love this example. You probably even heard me say it before. But it really is, I look at the fact that, you know, on the front of Campbell's Soup, it says they support the American Heart Association. So when you buy it, you think, oh, okay, if they support the American Heart Association, this must be good for my heart. Yes, exactly. Turn that can around. Look at how much sodium is in that. Exactly, exactly. Shoot your blood pressure right up. Exactly. But we don't think about the fact that we're still giving them the money, that they're claiming they're donating to these American Heart Association while they're causing the problem they're supposed to be helping to fix. That's right. And that's what the nonprofit industrial complex really is. It's getting money from the people that are causing the problems in the first place. Exactly. They're the ones with the fucking money. Exactly. We We have to understand right now, I mean, really, like, Years ago, we had that. We, we we needed to understand, but being in this society, being in, West, in in Western society, it's all about delusions and confusion and symbols. Even when you think about uh, uh, corrections, you know, or, or uh, uh, who's getting corrected in in prison? I mean, who's coming out right. as a better person? Who's who's getting re, re, rehabilitated? I mean, seriously, right? You know, it, it's all about enchanting you with these symbols with no substance. When we think about uh, Kamala Harris, I mean, she's not good Absolutely. for the black community. Yet and still, they use her her little bit of melanin in her skin to try to enchant us to th- to think that she's gonna you know offer some kind of substantive change. Chucks and Tim's. Yeah, exactly. She wears chucks and Tim's. She, what do you mean? Exactly. She puts hot sauce on her food. They have a picture of her putting hot sauce on her like greens or something. It's and depressing. it always cracks me up because I'm sad. like, it, it, it's patronizing. Push these. Yeah, it's patronizing. People try to say. And what's funny about it is people try to act like it's not political, like, oh, they, they just kind of happen to do this. But then you look at the people that are pushing the pictures and putting exactly, the out, exactly. they work for the campaigns. Exactly. Everything's political. They're the social media manager for, like, Biden campaigns. Everything's like political. That. Yeah. But, uh, but I, you know, I think sometimes we get so caught up in the symbolism of yes. things because I think we don't know what progress is supposed to actually look like. That's sometimes. right. That's right. So it feels like, oh, this must be progress because we get to eat at the same lunch counter. This must be progress because they're not supposed to discriminate me when I get this loan. Exactly. Even they're going to do it anyway. Exactly. You could be, a, if you're white, you could be an ex-con with poor credit and they're going to give you a loan. But, but it, don't be black with perfect credit. Be a professor. Exactly. They don't give a fuck. Yep. You ain't getting shit. <laughs> so <laughs> we think that progress is what white progress looks like. We think that, right. you know, having, having the white man and white woman's comfort and access to, to, to material is progress and health, but it's not. What we also know from research is that black Americans who are in the upper class report experiencing more racism and discrimination than people who are in poverty. It doesn't even surprise me. Yeah. It doesn't even surprise me. So they have running motherfuckers all the time. Exactly. They're your neighbors. Exactly. And, and when, you, when you're in these ultra white, ultra white spaces, more racial microaggressions. You're, you're in an alienated society in, 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 a, in an ultra-white space. Because somebody told you that, you know, it's about, cl- it's about um, classism, not racism, and you believed it. You thought getting exactly. money was going to help, and you get to see that there's racism on every level. At every and level. even more so. At every level, you know? Because the last thing you want to see is your black ass with money next to them. At every level. It, it, it's, it's deep. And, you know, I, I, you know, it's funny because I think we get so... Um, immersed in being patronized that we forget that those same people are underhanded in doing backstabbing things at the same time. Like the wolf in sheep's clothing. That's the Democratic oh, yeah. Party to me. Oh, yeah. They're oh, the yeah. Wolf, they're the wolves in sheep clothing. So they got you thinking that Biden is somehow the answer. Kamala Harris is somehow the answer. And then neither of them have a track record of actually helping black people. Exactly. I mean... Neither of them. Exactly. I, I, it's... It, it's it's sad and it's depressing, and I think that you know, you know, it's like it's like Amos Wilson talks about uh, black folks loving a feel good history. You know, just we want to just feel good about who we were and, and the kings and queens. But you know, and I think that transfers today to, to to when we get just a little bit of acknowledgement, we just feel so good about it. You know, we, we feel so impassioned <laughs> about it. Oh, she, you know, she she has melanin. Da, 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 you know, chill. 
chill, relax, take a deep breath and look at what they're going, you know, what are the substantive policies that they're going to they're going to enact for our people. We deserve to get substantive policies for our people specifically. And and nobody should argue against that. But a lot of people, a lot of people just love the the feel good endorphins. They 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 see from words and symbols It's deep. Yeah, well. It makes I like what you said. The, uh, Amos Wilson said uh, the feel good history. Yes, because sometimes I think we just want to feel motivated. I think that's sort of the, what's behind things like uh, a lot of the programs, like for example, the Cosby Show. Uh huh. We just wanted to see. I, I I was poor. I was one of the poor kids in yeah. the hood. You know. Yeah. I won't tell you all my horrible stories of being poor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's some pretty tor- terrible ones. I can imagine. And but my escape was watching the Cosby Show. Yes. That was my escape. I got to watch people who I can see what a big house looks like and to have both parents in the home and they have you know they get to do cool things and go cool places yeah. and you know I didn't have that life and I always thought that was something I wanted and that's what I aspired to. So I believe that was what the world was supposed to look like for black people. Yes. Like you said, we're measuring things based off of what white people have. Exactly. A couple of black families living in a nice brownstone apartment in New York is not progress for black people. It doesn't. But yet uh, yeah. when you watch those shows, they show, look at the progress that black people have made. You have a, before there were no uh, black women lawyers and black male doctors. Yes. Now look at this. And we're being um, conditioned. And this is part of what I think is the issue with the, uh, this well, it's part of what I think is traumatic is that we're trying to navigate in these spaces to achieve these things in a society that's pushing against us anyway. Yeah, we're trying to assimilate. And uh, and like it's like, oh, it sounds great. We can do all these wonderful things, but all of us can't do those things. Exactly. Us, how many of us actually get to go to college and can afford to go to law school, even if we do do well in undergrad? Exactly. Ninety percent of. And how many of yeah. us? How many of my friends have law degrees and can't get hired at a law firm? Exactly. Or or or, or they out here doing temp cases. Exactly, making making thirty grand a year, you know. Uh, right after they spent thirty grand in just the law school part alone. America's tapped out. That that that's that's um, um, America's tapped out, you know. But my, I guess my issue is being black and having to try to navigate these spaces as though uh, it's somehow realistic to achieve things through uh, this white material. Yeah. Um, us, yeah, using using the white program or the white yes. agenda or the white map. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and then, then you're holding each other accountable for not being those things. That's the other thing. It, it, but go ahead. It, it's powerful. It, it's a powerful, uh, I mean, it, it's a powerful way. It's a powerful theory. You know, I mean, think about this. Um, America has, I would argue, the, the absolute best marketing program in the world. There are people who are risking their lives to come to America and, and, and go into other European countries. They're swimming to these European countries. And then when they get there, it's not, it's not what it seems often, you know? Um, so when you have all this propaganda telling you what you could do, again, this, th- these are all things that enchant you. I mean, some people make it, but all of us won't make it. So we got to start thinking three generations down the line. What are we, we going to do in, in three generations with our, with our, our great-grandchildren? You know, how are we going to set them up? Right. We got to start thinking big and now. But I think that but taking it back to trauma and how that impacts us, historical trauma, economic trauma, educational yes. trauma. Yeah. Physical trauma, medical trauma. Yeah. Um, in fact, there's a great book called Medical Apartheid uh-huh. that you should be reading. Very watched. But when, you, but when you look at all that, that puts us in survival mode. And one thing we know about survival mode is you think about the now and the present. That's right. In fact, your ability to think long term is basically non-existent because all you can think about is how can I get through today? And your brain does that for a reason. It's to keep you safe. Yeah. Right now, that may not be the time as far as your brain is concerned yeah. to be doing all this analysis and analytical long-term thinking. Right now, you got to get out of this situation that you're in today. And that's what happens when our brains go into survival mode. Yeah. The question is, how do we get our brains back into uh, the, the neocortex, collectively speaking? I mean, I mean, this not necessarily literally, more so metaphorically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do we metaphorically get back into the neocortex? Because In fact, let, let me get into the science of, of what happens when people become afraid uh-huh. for the listeners. So when you become afraid... And that's, when I teach the kids, I use my hand and I teach, I use a uh, fist. <laughs> mm. But I talk about the way the brain works. It's, we talk about the three parts of the brain. Yes. Now, this is just one, it's called the trying brain theory. It's not the way the brain works. It's a very simplified way of explaining this process. Uh-huh. So what happens when you're, um, what happens when you're afraid is the part of your brain that thinks analytically goes offline. Yes. It's called yeah. your neocortex. Yeah. That's where your impulse control is. That's where your analytical thinking, yeah. all that shit is where that is. Yeah. Then 
The other part of your brain that goes offline is your ability to empathize. It's called mm. the limbic system or your mammalian brain. Mm-hmm. So you think about like a puppy, right? Yes. Like they can connect with you. They love you. They hug you. They don't really think long term necessarily, but, yeah. <laughs> but they're, they're, they're connected. Yes. And then they have what they call the reptilian brain. Yes. That's your survival part of your brain. That primal part. And that pretty much just focuses on survival. So when we talk about that, we'll say, well, what does a lizard do? They run. They sleep. Yeah. Mate, exactly, yeah. Basic survival things, yes. And so that's your reptilian brain. So that's also the part of your brain where you your fight, flight, freeze, and appease um, safety comes from. Yeah. So when you're ready to fight or flee a situation, that's where that is. Mm. So you're facing danger. Let's say you ever like sit on a porch somewhere and something's coming out of the corner of your eye, and you kind of almost run away, but you don't. Yeah. Oh. It's just a bag in the wind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the reason why you almost run, got up and ran away, you didn't stop and think about, should I run away? Exactly. It was an impulse. There was, your brain says there's danger coming at you. Yes. Get the fuck out yeah, the way. Yeah, yeah. Because let's say it's a rabid dog coming at you. Is that the time to be thinking, hmm, how fast is that dog coming at me? Well, if I turn over here, will it work? I wonder if that'll... No, your brain ain't got time for all that shit. Yeah, yeah. And then... You're, so that part of your brain goes offline. The next part that goes offline is your mammalian brain or uh, your limbic system. Yeah. Because it's at the time to start bonding and connecting with that motherfucker coming at you. Hell no. Oh, look at that dog. It's so cute. I want to connect and love and hug it. No, that has to go offline. And then you go to your survival part of your brain. Yeah. Get the fuck out the way. Yeah. Or pick up a stick and beat the shit out of this yeah, thing. Whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, you don't want. Whatever your survival um, mechanism is. Yes. But you don't have time to stop and think. And that's what happens when we get into survival mode. We lose our ability to really stop and think. So the question is, how do we get back into our neocortex? When I teach my classes, I teach parenting classes. I teach trauma-informed, nonviolent yeah, parenting. Yeah. That's actually one of the concepts I teach about is the brain. Yes. Because I often point out, for example, uh, a lot of times when you're, when you're angry at your kid, that same process is happening. It kicks in. Anger and fear is the same process. Yeah. So Because anger is really fear underneath. Yeah. So what happens is your, you, your kid, let's say your three-year-old draws on the wall. Mm-hmm. You don't realize you, you lose your ability to think long term. You're not thinking at that moment. Hmm. I wonder what this. How I should address this because they're going to turn eight. Now what? No, you're not. You're not thinking that. Yeah. You panicking. Yes. You pissed off. Yeah. So that part of your brain goes offline. Guess what else goes offline? Your ability to that limbic system. Yeah. 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 You forget you love your exactly. child. Exactly. You ability to empathize. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you forget you were a child. You know. You forget you were all that shit. Yeah. Ain't no emotional connection at that point. Yeah. Because you're in this, your, and then your brain goes into survival mode. Now, whatever your survival thing is, maybe it's yelling, maybe it's hitting, whatever that is, that's usually what you're going to resort to. That's what your body and brain knows. Yeah. Because that process is happening in that moment. Mm. Your brain says, this child's now a threat to your need. Now, what is that need? Now, basic human needs are things like beauty, cleanliness, organization, yes. order, cooperation. Yes. These are basic human needs. We think it's just food, clothing, shelter, but that's not true. Your yeah. brain literally survives off of seeing things that are beautiful and having order and things like that. Mm. At any rate, this child has now threatened your, maybe your stability. You don't think about it like that because now you're not getting your deposit back on this apartment. Yeah, yeah, straight up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You, you was trying to move next month and the next two months and the baby then just drew all up. Now yeah. you thinking it's just about this mark on the wall and it has nothing to do with the mark on the wall. Your fear of the lack of stability. Exactly. Yes. It puts you in survival mode and now your behavior is representative of that survival mode. Mm. Does that make sense? That's, that's, that's an excellent example because I've never thought about it like that. Like, what's up, what's up under <laughs> anger, you know? It, I mean, but it makes so much sense, you know? I love it. And now let's I, I, take that to the collective picture. Yeah. Now, that was just, these are just a couple of examples in the micro perspective. Yeah, yeah. Had it collective. Here we go. Let's go. We're going from these spaces where we're, we, we're thinking, okay, it's time for me to stay online. But we just seen a black man get killed again. We just, heard, we just saw a black woman get killed in her sleep. Yes. She didn't do a damn thing wrong. Yeah, yeah. And those cops are about, they're not even in prison. They should be thrown under the prison. Yeah, straight up. Right? Yeah. That impacts us. So we start getting upset. We take to the streets. Yeah. We're angry. We're hurt. So sometimes it's hard for us to plan when we're in that space. Yes, yes. How do I survive? On top, that's just, that, that's just the bigger picture. How many of us are trying to figure out how we're going to feed our families during COVID? Yes. Oof. So now you're in survival mode. And many of us were already trying to survive before COVID That's hit. right. That's right. One of my friends just got back on her feet before she lost her job. Mm-hmm. That's real life for a lot of us, collectively, because we're all in the same communities going through the same shit. We're all connected. And being impacted by each other's badass attitudes because yep. we all going through some shit. That's right. That's right. Then you want to know why black men and black women can't get along? It's because we all going through some exactly. shit. Exactly. Exactly. We stressed out. 
stressing out, hurting people, hurting each other, hurting ourselves. That's right. Because that, that's why I really think it's important we look at trauma and, the, and its effects, that we look at it from that racial lens. Because the way white people are impacted by COVID is not going to be the same way that we're impacted that's by right. COVID. That's right. Not saying that they're not hurting. I'm sure their businesses are. But guess what? They'll, they'll bounce back. Yeah, it, it's different. Our businesses are closing. Yeah. For good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even... On top of the fact that many of them were suffering because of gentrification already. Exactly, exactly. Um, even when you look at, like, you know, these police killings, you know, um, you know, black folks are impacted on a visceral level. You say you almost cried or you cried. I, I, I remember something happened when I was... Uh, during, during my master's, somebody got killed. I went home crying. I just couldn't take it anymore, you know? We're impacted on a visceral level, and I wouldn't... I would I would be pressed to argue that that you know white folks feel the same thing that we feel you know it's just it's just not the same thing because because they don't the identity isn't the same you know what can happen to us is a little bit different I mean it's going to happen to us at a, at a higher and disproportionate rate than than it happens to them so you know right it's like the economy tanking affects us way worse oh yeah oh yeah definitely that racial it's like I talked about the racial wealth gap. And how it's increasing. The actual gap is increasing. And then someone tries to make the argument, well, all of us are suffering economically. I say, yeah, but the gap is increasing. That means we're getting poorer at a quicker rate than everybody else. Exactly. And we're seeing the homelessness numbers affected in a lot of these major cities. LA in particular, 40% of the homeless population is black. black. Yeah. We ain't but 8.9% of the population of LA. Right. Speechless. We have crazy. To, like, we have to think about these things. Yeah. Now, also think about the fact that the impact of having to drive down my street and there's nothing but homeless people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to see these p- poor people get their shit pushed away or thrown away. I seen cops pushing. I almost cried one time because they were on an empty lot and it was a it was an unused lot and it had been empty for many years. And they some homeless people had set up some camps there and the police came and just threw everybody's stuff away. Yeah, that lot's been there for t- empty. ten years. Empty. Yeah. We LA, we don't have vacant buildings like everybody's have like dilapidated buildings and shit. Yeah. We don't have that. Yeah. They tear that shit down. Yeah. But you'll have an empty lot there yeah. for like twenty years. Yeah. In the hood for no reason. Yeah. So when I see things like I think about like, damn, like the in one the inhumanity of even having to do that. Exactly. Of doing something like that. Exactly. You know, just even seeing the inhumanity of it. Then you look and it's mostly black people. Yes. Yeah. These are somebody's black children yes. that got put in this situation. We don't even think about that. I always think about that. When I see these people that everybody's like shunning, this person has mental health issues, that yeah. was somebody's baby. That's right. That's right. Somebody held that baby in their arms. Yeah. I, I think that, and I, I think one of the saddest things that we have to get somewhat comfortable with is walking past another homeless human being and acting like it doesn't affect us. You know, I think that's incredibly <laughs> sad. Um, yeah. It's gotten to the point where it's shit. In LA, especially, you ain't nowhere you go. You can't escape it. Like I, I remember I was with someone. Um, they were visiting from the Midwest. Yeah. And they were like, they were like, oh, I had to give this person money. And I said, okay. They saw I never, I wouldn't keep giving money. Like I, I give money sometimes when I can, but yeah. it happens so much. You'd never have any money. You'd literally every freeway exit, just going. Like I said, I, where I live, it's like uh, RVs yeah. and uh, tents, tents yeah. and things like that. Like. You're, you're not you're, you'll literally be giving money away all day every day Oof. you would not be able to even pay your own rent if you just gave if you gave all you had all the time and I don't think people understand how drastic that is first of all it shouldn't even be on me personally it should be a, a society exactly that's taking care of people so they don't have to live this way yes in, in, in the most liberal state Arguably in, in in America again, going back to right allegedly uh, exactly. Oh, you exactly. want to talk about liberal? Yeah. we have like one of the biggest prisons. Exactly, on Earth. exactly. <laughs> again, Western society is all about but, symbols, you know. Exactly, and let's and let's even talk about that. Let's talk about incarceration and that's impact on our people in our community. We talked about education. We talked about med- we talked about medicine. Yes. Let's talk about um, incarceration. Yes. You know, I talk about school and I talk about, you know, how it's the worst place for a black child. And I say that. People always say, well, no, prison is. And I say school is because that's the pipeline into that's prison. pipeline, yeah. Because no, no matter what you do in that education system, you come out learning every lie about your oppressor and no truths about yourself. Mm-hmm. That's going to impact you regardless if you go to college and you end up in debt for $60,000 yes. or if you end up going, getting a job working retail, yeah. uh, entry level somewhere, hopefully, whether or not you go to prison. It doesn't matter. Yeah. 
you're all impacted. But my issue with that is with the uh, school system is the fact that it is a, that it is a direct pipeline into the prison system. Yeah, yeah. And there's multiple studies on it. So it's not something I just made up. Yeah, it's yeah. like a bazillion. The fact there was a movement at one point, they were going to address it and it never, nothing ever went with that. Yeah. Nothing ever went. Nothing ever happened. I, I think that we have to, okay, school is, there is a, and we know that there was a, a judge in Pennsylvania who got years in prison because he was literally sending kids to, these juvenile det- detention centers and getting kickbacks. Yep. We know that... Selling kids. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, so we know that school does act as, as a facilitator of uh, increasing the prison population. However, we, we, we cannot forget that, you know, the pipeline of prison starts uh, during pregnancy, you know? Uh, black mm. mothers stressing out, increasing the cortisol levels mm. and Im- impacting the fetus. And then when they're born, that stress and maternal mortality... And then in the in the, in the, in the impoverished neighborhood uh, neighborhoods, when okay, you may live in a food desert. There's no healthy uh, food around you, so that's impacting your, your 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 cognitive processes. So you can't think straight. You're around trauma. People are are being uh, assaulted sometimes. People are getting shot sometimes. So all these things impact how you view yourself and how you view society. And then when you get to school, it's just another cog, yes. another cog in the in the in the in the, uh, in the system. So. You know, it starts in the womb. I love that. All right, y'all. So that is the end of part one. Go to, again, patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks or click the link in the show notes to get part two. Be good.